back to the extras. My name is Jack. My name is Dave. Uh, good to have you with us. Uh, Dave, we've been wrestling through Romans for a couple of weeks now. Really fantastic part of the Bible. I have been enjoying uh, sitting under the Word and, and wrestling with some pretty big questions, right? We, yeah, we, we're not tackling particularly light things this term, no. are we? Could you give us a bit of a recap of what we've seen last Sunday? Yeah, yeah, so we're up to our third instalment in uh, the book of Romans. Uh, this time around, we're at the beginning of Romans chapter 6, and uh, Paul here is is starting to wrestle with the question of grace and sin and how they relate to each other. And he poses the big question at the start, uh, that, you know, what do we do uh, so that grace can increase? You know, is, do you put sin next to it? And uh, he answers strongly with the no and, and ends up to the place basically saying that, you know, if you want grace to shine, then... Have Jesus as your King, you know, and he, he unpacks that through unity with Christ, uh, and and baptism uh, comes in now, and the old self being crucified. Lots of big ideas that yeah, sort of came absolutely. out on, on Sunday, uh, but lots of hopefully really helpful ideas uh, mm-hmm. as we as we start to think about uh, what does it look like to actually tackle sin in the Christian life, uh, which I think is a really important thing for us to do. Uh, when you become a Christian, you, you, you want to fight sin and you want to tackle it. And that's part of what it means to change as a Christian. So it's good to dig in and, and wrestle deeply with this because it's helpful for our Christian lives. So that's sort of where we were. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and digging in is exactly what many of you out there, listeners, have been doing because we've had a, a bunch of questions come in about things that were said on Sunday and about uh, the last couple of chapters of Romans, which is wonderful to see. Yeah, we always love your questions, yeah. and we're excited to get to dig into a few of them today. So we'll, we'll get straight into it. Uh, we had a, a bunch of questions all come in, uh, looking at the first kind of few verses of Romans chapter 6, mm. and the way that Paul uses the language of baptism here. So maybe I'll just read a couple of those verses. So uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Mm. So there are a number of questions that came in on this and maybe if I can try and summarize the, 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 the few threads within them. One of the questions here is what exactly is the baptism that Paul's talking about here. So, yeah. you know, we know baptism as the kind of the ceremonial washing that Christians do, you know, getting getting dunked when you become a yeah. Christian, that kind of thing, or, yeah. or maybe yeah. as a child. Um, sometimes we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's yeah. what John the Baptist said Jesus was coming to bring. Yeah. So maybe a, a first question to get us into that. What kind of baptism is going on here? What's Paul yeah. even talking about? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And uh, it's important that we, we unpack this and so... I mean, let's give the definitive answer, Jack, on baptism <laughs> for the ages. Um, Nail it. Like, yeah. <laughs> just lay it down for us, Dave. <laughs> so, so, look, you know, in, in the scriptures, uh, you know, when Jesus came and spoke about what it looked like to follow him, he, he talked about this uh, inward regeneration that, that happens, you know, and the language we used here in Romans 6 to sort of capture that was this united with Jesus. You know, it was sort of being connected to him, getting the super glue out and sticking yourself, you know, onto Jesus and you get to live the life that, that sort of he has in his death and his resurrection. Uh, and so there's this, there's this act that, that happens within us, this inward regeneration, inward transformation that, that happens. And that doesn't come about by the work of the Spirit. 
Mm. Now, I, I'll sort of, I'm holding off, you know, Romans 8 unpacks beautifully the work of the Spirit and some of the, the wonderful things there. And Yeah, uh, we're hanging out for that. Stay tuned, <laughs> keep with us. Um, but one of the things the Spirit does is he, he's the prompter of that inward work. You know, he has that conviction of sin, he unites us to Jesus, he gives us faith. And that's, you know, and people often call that work the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you're baptized with the Spirit, that's what's going on. It's that inward work to sort of bring us, you know, uh, into that right relationship with, with Christ. And it's a marvelous work. It's His work. It's grace. Mm-hmm. It's reconciliation. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. You know? Uh, Absolutely. And it's a joy to see, you know, people sort of have the lights turned on, so to speak, and go, oh, I'm a sinner. How good's the Bible? How good's Jesus? You know, God's my Father. Mm. All those things. But what's the outward sign of it? How do you demonstrate what that looks like? And that's where water baptism comes in. Yeah, okay. Tell us about that. And so, you know, water baptism is this sort of outward expression of the inward work that Jesus, you know, that the Spirit has done uh, in us. And and you see this all through the Scriptures. You know, Acts chapter 2, you know, Peter's up there preaching the Word. They're convicted. Mm. They have that inward work there and then. It says, you know, 3,000 people. Uh, however, I think it was 3,000. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and they say, what should we do? And Peter's response is repent, you know, change who you're serving as Lord and be baptized. It's a great, wonderful, you know, expression of what God has done uh, in us. So back to Romans chapter 6. Yep. When he talks about being baptized into his death, he's talking about that inward work that is happening. Mm. Uh, and... and it's the inward work that saves you. It's it's not the external symbol that saves you. It's that inward work of the spirit. But we want to, you know, demonstrate to people some way that that's what's going on for us, and it's a good thing. Yeah, people should get baptized, mate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe just to really kind of summarize that friend at home. One of the other ways that this question came in on the text line was, "Do you need to be baptized to be saved?" And and um, you know, we can take that other way, but assume that that person's talking about water baptism. As a Christian, do I need to be water baptized to be a Christian? Yeah, and, and the answer is no, you don't. Uh, you think of the thief on the cross, Luke mm. chapter 23. Uh, there he is, moments before he's going to die. He reaches out to Jesus in dependence. Uh, and Jesus you know, gives him that cast iron guarantee that says, Today you will be with me in paradise. He was never baptized. Uh, and so it's not necessary for salvation, but it's a good thing. Mm. It's a wonderful thing to do. And I, I want to encourage people, if you've never been baptized and you're listening, you're part of our church, we'll do Baptism Sunday again, uh, post-pandemic. The, the dams are now full, so we can fill it up <laughs> and we can, That's uh, right. we can go for a full dunk. Yeah, it's one of the things that I think has been a, a great loss. I mean plenty of losses through COVID, but one of them is not being able to get together as a church and celebrate the new life that being united to Christ brings by baptizing people. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm hanging out for when we can get back together and baptize some of you out there who have come to know Jesus. Yeah, Yeah. and there are a few people who I know in the last while who've started following Jesus, and I I want to say to them, get baptized. Yeah. Uh, It's a good scriptural thing to do. It's not necessary, but it's a really good thing to do. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Really helpful to unpack some of that, that theology of it there. 
All right, well, we're going to move on. Uh, another yeah. question that came in. Uh, Dave, you said in the talk, sometimes we can have a, a foot in two camps. You know, we look at ourselves and think, oh, you know, I'm kind of half Adam and half Jesus. Yeah. And the talk, you, you kind of really emphatically from the passage said that's not how it works. It's yeah. not, you can't have a foot in two camps. Yeah. But how does that differ from the idea of uh, wrestling with the flesh or waging the war within ourselves as Christians? Uh, and this uh, question points forward to Romans chapter 7, verse 18. I know that good does not dwell in me, in my sinful nature. Yeah, how do we think about that? And is it wrong, you know, if you can't have a foot in both camps, can you still have a war within yourself? How do yeah, we think about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get where the question's coming from, and uh, I, I really sympathise with it because... Our experience as Christians is one of a battle. Mm. It's of a fight. And uh, I think the, the easy way to explain that, we think, is, oh, I've got a foot in both camps. Yeah. Um, I, I've still got part of Adam left in me, right? I've, but I've still got a little bit of, you know, I've got some of the spirit. Uh, and I did try to push very strongly against that as, that as the explanation. Yeah. Uh, because I actually think Romans 6 argues strongly against that as explaining why we fight against sin. Mm. Um, but what I tried to sort of show us is through our union with Jesus, uh, if we're super glued onto him and he, his life and we work through it, we see that what Jesus uh, has dealt with is the power and the penalty of sin. Yep. The penalty on the cross and the power of it in, in his resurrection. And we go through all those things. However, the presence of sin is still here. Jesus hasn't dealt with that Yet, yeah. he will when he returns again. The presence of sin gone. You don't see that sin in the wonderful pictures that Revelation paints for us. Yeah. But now <laughs> the, the presence is still here. And I think we want to acknowledge that, that that is true. Uh, and, and the two extremes are the ones you want to avoid here. To sort of, you know, oh yeah, sin is around. Uh, one is to totally give in and say, it's too hard. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm going to give up the fight, so to speak. You mm. know, like you're in the ring, you feel like you've been beaten around the head, and rather than get hit again, you just lie down and wave the white flag. Throw in the towel. Yeah, I think that that's 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 not the way to go. Mm. Um, but the other end is also not the way to go. To think that you can somehow achieve the the sinless, perfect life this side of heaven, which some people historically have taken Romans six to, to speak about. Okay. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, don't we, you know, don't know how much time we got for a history lesson, but the, give the, us a little snippet if you want. Yeah. <laughs> the, the sinless perfection movement was very strong in Sydney circles in the nineteen thirties. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, right. And came strongly out of you know uh, the, the sort of Keswick Convention stuff, uh, and, and was pushed strongly uh, and. This is the idea that it's possible for us now, as yeah. Christians, this side to, to of heaven, be sinless. To so. be sinless. Yeah. Yeah. And th but that's actually what you needed to, you know, to sort of uh, aim to it. And if you didn't get there, that you know, there was something quite seriously wrong. But yeah. So not just possible to be sinless, but you must be. And if yeah. not, there's something wrong. Okay. Yeah. And so, but but I, experientially, it's, I don't know. It's just not my experience of the Christian life. Yeah. Um, my experience is it's a battle and a fight, and that's a good thing. Mm. Um. Uh, we want to fight it. You know, I, I think that's a sign the Spirit is at work within us, convicting us of sin, exposing those areas where we, we are still sinful. Um, and we want to work and say, yeah, God, work in me to show them to me, change me, transform me. Not an easy thing. Um, 
a bold prayer to pray. Yeah. But I think we need to do those things and, and have that constant fight. But yeah, I think that's the that's my answer. It's not a foot in both camps answer. It's a sin still remains answer. Yeah. Um, but it, it doesn't rain. We don't have to listen to it. That's just where mm. I went for some um, Romans 6. Yeah. yeah. So to maybe flesh that a bit. So it's not so much that like we are on this scale between, you know, sinful and holy and we're kind of being dragged back and forth. It's yeah. the way that Romans 6 puts it is, it's not that like you need to just get closer to the kind of the righteous side. It's like, no, like that's who you are. Like you're dead yeah. to sin. It's, and if yeah. you are living in sin, that's inconsistent with yeah. who you now are. It's a, it's a, yeah, the identity question's in there as well, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And that's why Paul says these things, he, you know, uh, we, we skip over, especially if you're familiar with Romans 6, which says, you're dead to sin. You're like, yeah, of course I am. Mm-hmm. We think, well, what does it actually mean to be dead to something? You know, it's it's dead. It's, it's not alive. And it's why he talks about our old self crucified. I, yeah, I, it's a stark image, that one. I can't see mm-hmm. how I've got a foot in both camps if my old self is crucified. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm totally in the camp of Jesus. Um, and I think that's quite transformative in terms of, what we do and how we think about ourselves and how we fight sin in particular. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think the fight is real. It's true, it's proper, but um, uh, taking our, our sort of lead from Romans 6 can be super helpful in, in understanding that. Yeah, and we're going to get to this in a big way over the next few weeks as well because Romans 7 and Romans 8, these questions... Yeah. Don't go away. I mean, you know, we get to Romans 8, we're going to be talking about putting sin to death and yeah. how the Holy Spirit is the, the power who drives us to do that. So yeah. if this was your question, yeah, uh, hang out. We'll, we'll be coming back to these kinds of things, especially that, that yeah. wrestle. Yeah. And it's important, as you said. It is. It is. We'll keep moving. So we've had okay. another question. Uh, the question asker says, we place, we, you know, we Christians place a lot of emphasis on faith when we explain conversion. I think that's right. We, you know, we yeah. call people to come and believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus. The question goes on, however, the word faith is not mentioned in Romans 6. Are we neglecting the, the dying with Christ aspect of conversion yeah. in the way that we talk about it? Yeah. And the question has some theories. Um, is it because you know, dying with Christ sounds a bit too mystical? We're yeah. not comfortable with that. Is it that we underestimate the importance of that changed life? Is it that we cover this by you know talking about repentance, which is important but a bit different? Yeah. yeah. What do you make of that? Where I guess there's two questions there really. So where's yeah. faith? Yeah. And are we neglecting dying with Christ? Yeah. Look, this is a really helpful observation. I thought Jack and uh, and and a, and a wonderful little pickup mm. uh, on some of the language I used uh, in my explanation of Romans six. Um, and so I, there's a few things running through my head. Um, yeah. Tell us what's uh, on your mind. The first one is. Um, I think faith is uh, Jesus' words of talking about conversion. Uh, you know, when, when he arrives on the, the scene in Mark chapter 1, his message is simple, right? It's repent and believe. You know, so faith is right at the core. But as you go on, he explains what some of those things look like. You know, you know uh, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. The, yeah. the, the dying with Christ sort of language he does bring in in understanding what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah, anyone who wants to save his life must lose it. Yeah, yeah, bang on, bang on. So uh, I think they're all, in terms of explaining the gospel, uh, they're all important concepts and, and ideas. And, and as they say, repentance and faith are not the same things. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I've got a, a little bit of a hobby horse on repentance and faith that uh, you can't have one without the other uh, in your Christian life. Otherwise, it's, it's a lopsided affair because mm. uh, repentance is about Jesus as Lord, you know, and faith is about trusting what Jesus has done for you. Uh, and you can, I think you start to see if one is stronger than the other, uh, you know, you can lead to sort of, you know, lopsidedness in your Christian life. You know, if it just emphasis on Jesus as Lord and repentance, uh, then you start to head, I think, towards legalism. Yeah, I've just got to keep making myself I better. I just got to keep and... doing this. I keep pulling my socks up, you mm. know. And you, you may have heard preaching like that. You know, it's just just do this and don't do that, okay? Yeah. That's what you need to do. But on the flip side, you've got faith. Mm. You know, you just preach faith, just trust, you know, and it sort of tends towards that cheap grace. Is There's no cost to it at, for yourself. Um, and I think you need both Yeah. Uh, to sort of keep... keep understanding the uh, the nature of the Christian life. Um, but in terms of dying with Christ here, yeah, I think it's an important aspect. Um, but also, uh, we're, we're just looking at Romans 6 here. Uh, we've looked at the first five chapters already uh, where Paul has dived into the importance of faith in the Christian life and that we're justified by it. You know, he's looked at Abraham's faith and what that means and how it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, so they write uh, in terms of, you know, uh, faith is not mentioned in Romans 6, yeah, but is mentioned quite significantly in, in 3 and, and especially so in 4. Yeah, and we've been saying a lot that Romans is this, this ongoing argument, so everything Paul says in Romans 6 is building on and assuming what he said before. So we're yeah. in the the realm of faith because it's those who believe and have faith who yeah, are justified. That's right. Romans 5, you know, since we have been justified, and he launches off into this next section. Yeah, so, yeah, it's all in the background. Here's the benefits of it, you mm. know. Uh, so I think it's, I still think it's right to talk about faith. Yeah. Um, uh, but we don't want to do it at the expense of not talking about repentance and not talking about dying with self. Uh, and, you know, that... Um, that phrase in verse 6, you know, that old self was crucified with him. That's a powerful image of conversion uh, that we don't want to shy away from in, in people understanding what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, and if that's helpful to sort of say to someone, it actually means who you were before is, is gone, it's dead. You know, there's a new way of living that sort of new life uh, idea, then uh, we, we don't want to forego that. We want to make sure people understand that's what's going on when you become a Christian and the ongoing nature of it. Yeah, I mean, we often use that language of the cost of discipleship. But, yeah. You know, like Jesus says in his parable, if you're going to build a tower, you've got to sit down and count the cost and yeah. work out if you're going to be able to finish it. Yeah. yeah it's, when we call people to Jesus, it's not as simple as just just trust him and, and that's it. It's, yeah. it's a whole life revolution, dying and rising we're talking about. And yeah. I guess it's hard to present that to everyone on the spot like when you're no. you know sitting down for two minutes on the bus with someone and saying here's what it yeah. looks like to follow jesus it, yeah. there's a lot of richness that yeah you know, it's, it's hard i guess we're often making that call between something that's simple enough to understand and then but the you know the riches of the gospel to yeah. keep unfolding it goes pretty deep yeah i think that's right and i, and I think we want to you know just moving towards a little bit of mission stuff on, on here just to say 
you don't have to explain the whole gospel in one hit. Mm. You know, you, you've got to... The people you, you have ongoing conversations with, the ones who are more primed to sort of know you, love you, hear you out on the gospel, uh, you don't have to do the full circle of the gospel. You can do a little bit of the, you know, the circle each time. Yeah. As long as it's still in the circle, right? You, know, you <laughs> yeah. don't want to start drawing triangles if you're trying to get the circle sort of... You know, little pieces, and yeah. helping them piece it together. Okay, you know, this is sort of what it looks like. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, great question there. Uh, we'll keep going. Uh, we had uh, one question who sent in a few questions mm. to kind of build a bit of a case. So we must, we're going to spend the rest of our time tackling um, this, this question. There's a little set of um, things going on. So yeah, I'll, I'll just read the first question. Let's get into it. Sure. Uh, as humans... If we create a problem, we would feel responsible to provide a solution to fix it. I guess you break it, you bought it kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so God created Adam, even though he knew Adam was going to sin. Isn't then God responsible to provide a solution for humans? So Jesus should have been given as a solution. Could you explain why the Bible is saying that Jesus is a gracious gift from God when he was the one who willingly chose to create the problem, he made Adam, you know, he sent the serpent, well, sorry, he, he, you know, the serpent's part of creation too, yeah. part of the world God made. Yeah. Yeah, I guess to summarise the question, yeah, uh, is God responsible for the problem of sin and therefore is he obligated to provide a solution and it wouldn't yeah. be a gift then? Yeah, it's a great question and uh, shows some deep thought. So, mm. um yeah, it's it's good good to wrestle with these these uh, these sort of deep concepts together, um, and really we're starting to tackle here, Jack, some of the ideas of what's you know what's sort of incorporating God's sovereignty. Yeah. What's what am I responsible for here? And um, they they they're tough concepts, and sometimes I you know they feel like they they pull in different directions. Yeah. Um, you know so. Uh, for example, you know, I'm responsible for my sin. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not a I'm not a victim. Uh, you know, oh, there's times where I am from other people's sin, but my own sin, I'm I'm responsible for that. So what do you mean by that? Your your hand wasn't forced. Yeah. You're not you're not I, coerced into sinning. No, no, not not at all. Mm. Um, um, you know, sure, there's unintentional sins, but yeah, most of my sins are are, are willful mm. and are intentional. Yeah. Um, because I'm I'm a sinful person, I I'm res- responsible for them. Now, it is does does God lose control over me when I'm sinning? You know, is is you know His sovereignty somehow paused during that moment? I I think we want to say no. Yeah. No, God's absolutely still in control. He's still sovereign. You know, and that starts to lead you down more and more sort of questions, right? Yeah, and that's where we're going, really. So that's, take us down the rabbit hole. That's, that's where we're going. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think what the scriptures paint for us is both are true. Mm. Now, that makes our minds hurt a little, especially if you're listening yeah, late in the hour or late at <laughs> night. This might keep you awake. Um, but I think from a scripture point of view, uh, we want to hold them both 100% true. Uh, I can't say I'm not responsible for my sin, and, and, and at the same time, I can't say that God's not sovereign, uh, or he suspends his sovereignty for that sort of... It, that doesn't make any sense. 
It doesn't yeah. make God God at that point. You know, it starts to put those limitations upon him. And so if I'm responsible for my sin, God is in no way obligated, I would have thought, to fix my problem. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, it is a gracious gift uh, to, to step in and to take me out of being in Adam and you know, having Captain Adam to have Captain Jesus. Because I couldn't do that by myself. Uh, is the other place to go in terms of that, you know, I, I, I don't have that capacity within me unless there's an external force working within me to, to sort of, you know, take that sin and do something with it. Um, so I, I, I get where the question's coming from, and it's a really good question. Uh, but I, I think the scriptures point and show us that yes, Jesus is a gracious gift. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a premise in the question that uh, we want to push back on, I think. So, yeah. God created Adam able to sin? Yes, absolutely. Yes. If you listened to the podcast last week, Sam and I dug into that a little last time. So, go back and have a listen to the last episode if you'd like to chase that up further. But God clearly made Adam capable of sinning. Yes. He clearly made Adam, even though he knew Adam was going to sin. Yeah. In God's sovereignty and his plan, it was, it was all part of the picture. Mm. But that's not the same as saying God is responsible that's for right. sin. And that is the element that yes. we would want to emphatically uh, set to one side and say no. That I mean, like the verse from Psalm 119 I shared when we led church uh, on Sunday, that God is good. What he does is good. That's yeah. the thing that the scriptures affirm over and over again. Yeah. So however God created the world with Adam able to sin, God's not the one who made sin. He's not the author of evil. No. It's not his responsibility no, not his responsibility. Yet, even in his sovereignty, he uses yeah. sinful acts, humans, still to bring about his good purposes. Yeah. Um, as strange as that seems. Yeah, and it's it's hard to wrap your head around. I'd certainly. Yeah. I'm not claiming I've got a handle on it, but yeah. they're kind of the that's they're, they're the fences, if you like, that we're working within. Yeah. They're the kind of boundary lines that Scripture draws for us. Yeah. God's sovereign. We're responsible. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle there is the truth of how the world works. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, you know, <laughs> in, in five minutes, Jack, we're, we've, we've nailed it. <laughs> it's Indeed. solved all those big issues. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's more issues. So we'll come on to the next part of the question. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what we're saying so far, isn't it? That uh, God's not obligated. You know, God would have been perfectly free to not provide a solution to yeah. sin. So the fact that he sent Jesus to save us from sin is yeah. wonderful. That's the... The gracious, undeserved gift of the gospel. Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. All right, okay. the question keeps going. Uh, God chose to create humans even though we never asked to be created. If we were never created, we never would have had to suffer and we would not need God's love. So since we never had an option to choose whether we wanted to play this game, you know, be a human on God's earth, how is God any different to a psychopath or a narcissist who creates this game of suffering and torture and temptation that lasts 80 or 100 years, and the only way to win and to go to heaven instead of hell is to, to follow and praise and glorify God. Uh, a long question there, so let me kind of summarize. You yeah. Know, if we were never created, there was no problem. Yeah. God has put us into this world of suffering, you know. Yeah. Is he a psychopath? Is he a narcissist? Yeah. Doing this for his own glory, so to speak. Yeah. And, and, and look, again, Good question, and I, I think actually a question that 
a lot of people ask. Yeah, I've certainly um, wrestled with it myself over the years. And uh, so it's nice for it to sort of uh, pop up in here. Uh, I, I do want to sort of start by saying no, uh, God is not a psychopath. Mm. God is not a narcissist. Uh, and he, he, if there is suffering and you know, temptation and those things that happen in our, in our lives, even under the banner of God's sovereignty, there is not joy from God that comes through those things. Mm. And he's not pleased and happy and, you know, internally delighted in the same way a psychopath or narcissist is to sort of bring about those those actions in, in other people. Like it's not like he's getting a kick out of no, watching us suffer. Not 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 at all. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in the the scriptures worldview Sin and its entering into the world is is a is a rupture of relationships that has ongoing consequences uh, all over that does bring about suffering and you know uh, but you've got you've also got to remember that God hasn't left this earth the the way it's going to be this isn't it mm. um, that there's there's hope of a, a restored relationship uh, you know amongst you know the sinful people who hurt each other and the world and, and God, and he's going to bring all that back together. But the, the question here, too, I think slightly misunderstands uh, who God is and what his glory, I guess, looks like and yeah, I mean, plays out like. We often say, you know, God does everything for his glory. That's, you know, something that's easy to kind of rattle off. Like, it does kind of sound like, you know, you can interpret that as being there's this self-promotion thing going on. But yeah. Is that what's happening? Like, what does it mean when we say God does things for His glory? Yeah, yeah. And, and part of this is wrestling with the nature of who God is. Um, you know, and uh, if God really is God, <laughs> you know, you, you want to think through, is, is He worthy of us giving Him praise? Because that's what it means to give something glory, is to give something their appropriate praise. Um, you know, they, they become worthy of it. Mm. Um, and is God worthy of our praise and, and our adoration? Um, and and I, we, we, want to, we want to affirm and say, yeah, he is. Uh, and it's not out of a, a, a somehow need that he needs our praise, but we want to give it to him because of who he is and what he's done. Uh, and... To, to see him as worthy of, of getting glory and honour and praise and might um, because we understand just the wonderful nature of who he is. And for us to not think that he's worthy of those things is either a misunderstanding of who we think God is uh, or the flip side is uh, you, you're going to give your praise and glory somewhere. Um, yeah. uh, who are you going to give it to? Like, we're, that's, that's our nature, that's sort of who we're made. Something, as I said, sits on the throne of our heart. Mm. Um, and if it's not God, then who is it? And does your world and does your life work better? You know, if you went after, you know, Captain Comfort. Yeah. Like, and that's what you pursued, you know, I think you're going to be sorely dissatisfied at some point. Yeah, so our devotion, our worship's got to go somewhere. Yeah. If we yeah. go anywhere other than God, it's only going to be something less yeah. worthwhile, less worthy of it. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. So I guess that's coming at it from kind of the, the human point of view, the glory that we give to God. But what about God himself kind of working for his glory? 
And we were talking a bit before about how the the triune nature of God yeah. plays into that. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. So. Um, you know, we 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 believe that God is Father, Son, and and Spirit. You mm. know, and so the the Father works uh, for for the beauty of the Son, and the Son works you know for for the sake of the Father, and the Spirit you know comes from the Father and the Son. And you, I mean, the Gospel of John is the place to go to see you know Jesus talk about bringing glory to each you know um, person of the Godhead. Uh, that they work for one another. You know, it's almost in some ways a self-sufficient relationship in and of itself. Uh, you know, where they sort of work within each other mm. to um, you know to sort of seek the betterment and you know the other person of the Godhead. They work. You know, the son's going, yeah, man. How good's the father? The father's going, how good's the son? Yeah. They're both going, man. Have you seen the spirit? How good's he? You know. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they're not as colloquial as that. You know, you know, we'd like to think maybe there'll be some Aussie slang. In <laughs> that's German, right. But, that's right. Yeah, I mean, the the verse, I'm just looking at John 17 and the the prayer that Jesus prays the night before his death. It's yeah. amazing to see some of that on display. So 17 verse 4, Jesus says, "I have brought you, speaking to the Father, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work He gave me to do." Jesus' yeah. whole earthly life was pointing to His Father and bringing Him the glory He deserves. Then verse 5, and now Father, glorify me in your presence, with the glory I had with you before the world began. Mm. Jesus looks at the cross and says, Father, glorify me. The, the work of Christ climaxing, you know, on that hill outside Jerusalem, that was the moment the Father glorified Jesus with the glory yeah. he had before the beginning of the world. Yeah. You see there each person, like, seeking to maximize the glory of the other. Yeah. So I think that's why the, the charge of narcissism, one of the reasons why I think it falls down is because... Uh, even in himself, God's not selfish. Each of those persons looking to the other yeah. and seeing their praises to the universe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a really good insight. I, you know, just to understand that because yeah, as as we said, I think it's a charge that a lot of people put. You know, mm. surely he's just all about himself, like some egotistical maniac. Uh, I think one atheist popular writer <laughs> yeah. uh, paints God as you know right along these lines mm. um, and I think as Christians we want to know how do we speak back into that in a helpful way yeah I think one last element of that uh, we'll drive to the last part of, of this question yeah. uh, question part three uh, we would not need God's love or Jesus if we were never created coming back to that you know uh, you know, if we weren't around, we don't have to play this game at all um, yeah. so I guess the question it lands on is what is the point of creation other than that God thought it was a good idea. I think it's, it's right to see this is the kind of the final point of that question, right? If we're talking yeah. about, you know, God and his glory, you know, why create anything at all? If, yeah. you know, he didn't have to create Adam, able to sin in the first place. Yeah. And all of the, the sin and suffering that flowed out of that, which God knew would happen. Why? Why, you know, why, why, let all, why kick off that, you know, that, that chain of dominoes, so to speak? Yeah. 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 Uh, it, really good question. And I, I, I think... You know, taking in our previous couple of answers to the, the um, questions that came up there is uh, the short answer is Jesus. Okay. Can you yeah. give us the long answer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unpack that for us. <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, Jesus, Jesus the, the, and his might and his majesty and his honour and his glory, um, 
all of that is the high point and climax of the the scriptures. Mm. You know, from from the moment of creation of mankind, Jesus has done that in order so that Jesus would be magnified and glorified as as you just pointed out and the the prayer that he prays, mm. you know, your work is completed, there's the glory, there's the honor. Um and so there's the point of creation on, on as a one on a simple sort of you know uh, idea is is Jesus, but we've got to remember that we often think and look backwards and go, man, what is the point of all that? I'm just thinking cipher. What is the deal with creation? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you're looking back, but what we're not doing in our answer is looking forward to going. Um, there's more to come. Mm. Uh, the, the purpose and point of creation is, yes, it's Jesus, but it's Jesus on the throne with the multitudes around him in heaven, giving him worship, you know, falling down before him. That's the point of creation. That's where we're going. Um, so he hasn't created us out of loneliness or friendship or anything like that. Uh, he's created us uh, in order that we would be there in that picture. And that that you know uh, that amazing place that heaven is is going to be. Yeah, I think even in what you said there, I think it's really important for us to remember that God's glory is not set against our good, as if those yeah. two things, as if only one of those two things were possible. Yeah. And I think it's easy for us to think about that sometimes. You know, God's made the world so that Jesus will get the glory, so that Jesus would have you know this throng of redeemed people sing his praises forever it's all about him yeah and it's almost like you know almost like we're not in that picture but the whole point is that we are in that picture like the whole point is that you know we who trust in jesus will be there and will enjoy him forever and that god has you know god didn't have to make us yeah not at all yeah as we've been saying totally sufficient in himself but god has chosen to you know share this abundant goodness and love that he is with us and Jesus is the focus of that, but we're swept up in it. We get to be a part of that. We have the opportunity to repent and trust and be saved and enjoy Him forever. Yeah. Like that, how good is that? Yeah, it's amazing, man. It's, it's an amazing idea. So, yeah. Plenty to chew on there, and uh, we'd love to continue that conversation. Uh, we'll, we'll pull up stumps there for now. I think it's already been yeah. enough uh, meat for, for one day. Yeah, good on you for making it this far. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Thank you for uh, unpacking that with us, Dave. Pleasure, mate. Um, just very quickly, can you tell us where we're going next, what's happening uh, this coming Sunday? Yeah, so we're back half of Romans chapter 6. Sam Russell's going to be unpacking that. He's going to, you know, um, uh, talking about freedom. Mm. And what, what freedom looks like uh, in the Christian life. Uh, this will be really helpful, so tune in. It'll be good. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us. We hope this has been helpful to you, and we'll see you next time on The Extras. Have a good one. See ya.